0: If you have your Bible, we're going to begin um, our study time this morning, and we're going to continue. We've been looking at living hope. And so if you have your Bible, turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 18 from the New King James. You can follow along. And uh, Annie has consented to read on our behalf this morning. So appreciate that volunteering. volunteering. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. All right. Take it away, girl. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, laid bare." So this morning, what I want you to consider, as Annie was reading the Scripture and as we were reading together, I just want to give you this thought. I want you to think about this as we go through. The preparation, preparation should Purify. And there's a lot of different avenues, there's a lot of different nuanced approaches that we could take to these passages, just like a lot of the other passages we've been looking about. There's a lot of nuanced detail that we could pick apart and that we could look at, and some of you, you may have been looking forward to these verses, believing that I was going to dig in deep to prophecy and eschatology. And so there is, there is a very strong perspective in why you would think that. And so this morning, I want to just give you three different terms. The day of the Lord, as an example. The return of the Lord. And there's, there's a multiplicity of phrases, but I'm just giving you three general ideas, or the rapture. Now, you're not going to find the word rapture in the scriptures, but for a lot of you, it's a common use, it's a common reference, the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord, or the rapture. Now, I'm just going to give you a smattering of verses that we could refer to that you could look at in regards to some of these terms, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52, then we will have, you can go online if you want to see these verses. The lessons now are online. Um, they are being posted every week. So usually by the second service, we're running out of the paper copies now. So you guys are the, the definite, if you want a copy of it, go online and look at that. You can find these verses. First Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18 or 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 9. Also, 2 Thessalonians, you can look at 2 Thessalonians as well, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Revelation has a lot of references. Um, mentioned. V- chapter 3, verse 10, or chapter 19, 11 through 16. Also, if you go to Matthew chapter 24 and you look at 15 through 30, and I'm just mentioning these because these are just a couple of verses Out of the over one thousand plus scripture, and there's a thousand plus. In the, in the scripture, talking about Bible prophecy or eschatology. And if you're not familiar with the word eschatology, it's just a big word for the study of the end times and the ending of days. It's what that word primarily focuses on. But I want to read Hebrews chapter nine, as well as Matthew 24, a couple verses as, as just a foundation for what I'm talking about. Verse 23. I'm reading from the um, New International Version. It was necessary then for the copies, the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He appeared for us in God's presence, nor did he, um, yeah, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priests enter the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Matthew chapter 24, 36-44 in the New American Standard Version 95 edition. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only for the coming of the son of man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand, or they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So will be with the coming of the son of man. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the night, at, of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready For the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Now, I've said this before many times, but if you're new with us or you're visiting with us just recently, you might not have heard me say this, but we are not called to figure out things that we are not meant to understand. Did you hear what I just said? Now, some of you, you have such an inundated drive to understand stuff. And some of you, you really struggle with faith because you think that you have to understand it in advance before you take a step of faith. And I just want to remind you in love, that's not faith. Now, I'm in no way talking about being ignorant, stupid. I'm not talking about just being dumb, blind followers, but I want you to understand that there is this balance because what we have a natural tendency to do, especially in our information driven world, is that we're trying to get our hands around stuff that we're not really meant to understand. Who can know the mind of God? So, I'm just saying that what we talked about last week, the mystery of God, we've got to learn to rest in his mysterious glory and what that means. Let me just say this about when we're talking about these terms the Lord's return, the rapture, the second coming. We are called to look for our Lord's return, anticipate being with him, and live today. Like we are actually prepared to stand before Him. It's important that you know why you believe what you believe. And I want you to say the scripture. We're constantly pushing, we're constantly encouraging, we're constantly challenging because we want you to study the Holy Word of God. We want it to dwell in you richly. We want it to be a part of your life. So in no shape, form, or fashion are we just trying to be blind, ignorant followers. But you cannot get, we cannot get so preoccupied with a course of study that it takes you off course regarding our mission as followers of Jesus. And this issue with prophecy and eschatology is one of those things where I've seen that happen. And we've got all kinds of division theologically, and I understand nuanced stances and different things like that, but I'm just telling you right now that a lot of us have been raised in traditions where we can argue, fight, be mean, and be jerks to one another all in the name of what we say is theological truth. And I'm just telling you from personal experience, I've been around men that are theologically astute and they are so focused and they could give me a plethora of biblical information concerning prophecy and eschatology and I go to dinner with them and the way that they treat the waitstaff and the way that they treat the people in the restaurant, I'm repulsed and disgusted because this enormous amount of theological knowledge about what they have about a particular course of study is absolutely worthless when it comes to applying the mission of what we've been called to do. Are you tracking with me? And some of you, if you've been waitstaff, male or female, You could probably tell stories about the church people that come in on Sunday afternoon after church. That's stinking embarrassing. But it's for a reason. Because we get so focused on a course of study that we actually forget what our mission is. So I'm going to read to you again. What are we called to do? We are called to look for the Lord's return. And I don't know about you, but a couple years ago, you know what I started saying out loud and I started praying? Come, Lord Jesus, come. I can't utter those words without it doing something inside of me as far as preparation, anticipation. It's real. What we are called to do is look for our Lord's return. Anticipate being with Him and live today like we are prepared to stand before Him. If something were to happen today, I don't believe that the Lord's return is going to be Him setting foot on the planet. But if He were to meet us in the sky if our lives were to be taken today and we were to stand before him, are you ready and prepared to stand before him? Because that's what I believe these verses are encouraging us to. Followers of Jesus Christ can have differing views regarding the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord, the rapture, and yet we can still work in harmony because we are keeping the main thing, the main thing. And what we have to, what I have to work really hard at is in our ministry and our oversight as far as spiritual influencers here in this ministry that I have got to constantly get myself out of the way and stay focused on the main thing because it's so easy to spiral, especially when you're a squirrel guy like me and just chase a rabbit trail. Yeshua did not commission his disciples to divide and splinter his church regarding the apocalypse. Yeshua said, Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty, Yeshua said, Go make disciples of all nations. There's something about the gospel message that inherently makes us evaluate our natural prejudice. baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct beings and personalities. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. I want to remind you, we have been given the good news of the gospel to spread to the world and to make disciples for our Lord. The method of the mission is from the reservoir of love. It's not about being perfect, but we are learning to love God with each passing day. We're learning to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't just get that figured out. If some of you have got that figured out, then you need to come talk to us, and we will let you have the teaching component moving forward. Okay, because this is, a, this is a process of learning how to love God. And we are still in the process, I am learning how to love God more each day. And it is a learning process to learn how to love one another, to love your neighbor. And for me, some of you, you've been raised in a form of Christianity that's like a form of godliness, but it doesn't have any power because you are focused on all these external things and the people that are closest to you don't feel loved. That's not what Jesus has called us to. It should be these inner rings, like the people that should know that I love them the most should be my wife first and foremost, and then my children, then their spouses, and then my grandchildren, and then it should go out from there because this is a process. We are supposed to pursue the mission with the method of the reservoir of love. Please hear me. We do not do this by running from our culture and isolating ourselves but by living in our culture and shining by our good works. I'm going to try to do really well because this is a passionate area for me on your behalf. Some of you have been raised in denominational religious teachings that the power of the gospel in your life only works When you're in an isolated conclave, separated from the world. Are you tracking with me? And so, what we really have to continually address in our lives is that we're not called to run away. When Roy read the prayer of Jesus, he didn't say, God, you've given me this so that we can all run away and hide. He said, no, the point is that we need to understand who we are and we need to be kept from the evil and the evil one. That's not an external thing. That's an internal choice of your heart, soul, and mind in the middle of a twisted world. If your form of Christianity only works in here with a bunch of people that agree with you, I want to challenge you to evaluate your Christian belief. Because Jesus was in the marketplace. Jesus was in his culture. All right, I got to be careful. No, I know, I'll come back around. Let me read 2 Peter 3, verses 11 through 13 in the English Standard Version. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. So, Look around right now. Barn burns, barn's gone. Mountains out there, Blue Ridge Mountains, grass, rolling hills, beautiful stuff. Burn, gone, dissolved, done away with. At some point, this is what's going to happen. Not going to be able to hold on to this for eternity. It's saying, when all this is dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words, if this is ultimately the end game, this is what's going to happen, then what should our lives look like right now in regards to holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Some of you are a little bit more molecularly poised than I am, and you think in scientific terms. You can talk about atoms bursting, exploding, nuclear, whatever, Whatever you say, Pastor Tim, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a great idea. It's going to happen somehow. And God's going to be behind it. Heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies of the elements will melt as they burn. That's some powerful burnage right there. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it's not a sad day, it's like something greater and better. I don't know about you, but I love, I love what God has done here. The creation. It's amazing. I love to go hiking, love to swim in the mountain rivers when it's warmer, not now. And but it's going to be even better. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 in the NLT, because what we... Peter is reminding us of, is think about this. How should we be living now with this being true? What what sort of people should we be? Peter said in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, in the New Living Translation, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Look at me. Truth or lie? You don't have to answer. I'm asking you on the most personal level do you believe it's true or do you believe it's a lie? Peter learned from experience and he's saying, God has given through his divine nature every single thing that you and I need to live a godly life right here, right now, right where we are. True or false? I'll keep reading. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. It's a relationship. The one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. It's not just an accident. God has brought you to Himself through the marvelous, excellent glory of Jesus Christ and Himself and the work of His Spirit. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. Lies or truth? Has He given us great and precious promises? These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Wait a minute. We can have this divine nature right here, right now, where we're living, or does it say with our exit strategy when everybody sees our backsides because we're running away? Titus 2, 11 through 14 in the ESV. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. What are we in the process of doing? Some of you? It's okay. We're all in a training program, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Anybody in here, you don't have to vote? Get your tail kicked this week? Yeah, it's okay. That's why we're here together. Encourage one another. I got tons of scripture. Some of you think, man, you are spitting, passionate, fired up. Yeah, I am. And I make no apologies for it because of his excellent, his great, glorious work on our behalf. And can I just say this? God wants to do mind boggling things in our lives if we'll just partner with him. Let me give real quick verse eleven. The word holiness in the original language in this application means a moral sense to be pure, sinless, upright, and holy. Back to what Peter proclaimed in chapter one, verses five through eight. Virtue or moral excellence. You say, Pastor Tim, you don't know me, not me. Oh, yeah, I don't need to know you. The potential that you have because of what Christ has done is a trajectory toward holiness and godliness. What does the word godly mean here? Godliness. In the Greek, in this application, it has to do with the aims and acts of godliness. So I have a question. What are we to be doing with ourselves as we are looking for our Lord's return? Let me get to a safe place because everything is so difficult so that I can twiddle my thumbs and pray. Let me give you an answer. The answer is engaging our culture through our involvement in our daily lives. And this is an area, like, as I'm looking at this passage, I just want you to understand, I believe in you And I so wish by the power of the Spirit of God that some of you would have this revelation today of how God wants to use you right where you are, right what you're doing in your vocation, and you don't need to create something new. You don't have to go to a safe place. You need to experience the power of God and shine for His glory right where you are. Let me give you an example. Lori and I had the privilege of meeting two ladies this week. One is a forensic nurse, and the other is a forensic interviewer at the Child Advocacy Center that provides services to the Hampton Road area. Both of these ladies are Christ followers, and they've dedicated over 20 years to helping children and families. Both of these ladies are incredibly professional, knowledgeable, compassionate, tenacious, and they're women of faith in Christ. These are frontline ladies who are daily dealing with children who've experienced domestic violence, sexual abuse, or human trafficking. Lori and I went into the interview area where there's a one-way glass and they have stuff on this side and they do the interview in the other area. And what we're talking about is we're talking about every day. Children that have experienced brutality that are under 18 years of age, and every single day, on average, they have between three and four in that room. These are frontline people. And I use it as an example because I want you to understand that I'm looking into the eyes of frontline people right here. We don't need any new creation. We don't need some new organization. What we need to do and what you need to do is understand that if you are a rancher, if you are a farmer, if you are doing incredible things behind the scenes with computers, if you have your own business, if you're in law enforcement, if you're in the medical industry, if you're in education, and I could go on, if you have your own business, if you're a mechanic, if if, if you're doing, whether you're a welder, whether you're in finance or accounting, whatever you're doing, you are front line For the glory of our great God. And what somehow we've lost with all the religious training is that we don't have to go away to some monastic situation to be holy and to be godly. Is that we are supposed to cling to our Jesus and cling to the work of the Spirit so that right where God has planted us, our vocation and our schooling, our place of residence, our community is holy ground for the glory of God. But most of us here this morning do not believe that. You want to know why I know that? By the way that you approach your life. If if we are looking for our Lord's return, however you define that, and if we are anticipating a reunion with Him and then we are preparing our lives to be able to see him and be face-to-face with him, face-to-face with him and interact with him, then that should have a very purifying effect on us right now and the way that we live. The world around us, the marketplace, our community, you know what we need? We just need more of us to stand up and be the hands and feet of Jesus right where we are. Thank God for people on our school board that are standing up for Jesus. Thank you for people on our board of supervisors that are standing up for Jesus. Thank you for administering. I bet all across the board, what we need is to press into this relationship with Jesus and realize that where God has placed us is the place for godliness and holiness, not perfection. Can I just tell you, the people that I've been around, to, for people to just simply be able to hear us proclaim Amen. man, I'm not who I want to be, but I can tell you I'm not who I used to be, and I'm so thankful for Jesus. What honest person cannot appreciate that level of authentic, genuine approach to faith? We're not supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to be showing people that we are flawed like they are, that we have been forgiven, and we have a hope. We have a hope that's mind-boggling, that we can't understand, that creates this purifying effect. And then when people throw stones at you, oh, you think you're better than we are. No, dude, I can promise you I'm not better than you are, but I don't want to put that junk in my body anymore. Matter of fact, when I wake up, I want to know what I did, and I don't want to have to apologize for it. And I want you to tell me that what I thought I did was better than what I actually did, and it was worse. Because you know what? I got a new tattoo on my life and his name is Jesus. And I got a new family and I got a new identity and I got a new citizenship. I'm just telling you right now. And people look around and go, man, those people over there a little wacko about Jesus. And we go like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Some of you on the job, stop running and you stand up and you be you. Oh my goodness. This is what we need in our culture. Men, women, and children who are not perfect, but learning to be like Jesus. Learning to be holy and learning to be godly in the context of everyday life. And can I just tell you something? It's, there's no reason why people, there's, there's a good reason. It makes sense why people are skeptical of the message we have. If you look statistically across the board, pornography, unchurched, church, same statistic, divorce, Church, unchurch, same statistic. We could go through drug abuse and alcoholism. Pretty much across the board, there's not much difference between us and the world. Then why do people are gonna believe our message? You can stay janked up and keep doing the same things. At least they're not they're not lying about it. Did Pastor Tim, do you really say that? Yeah, I did. Because that's the litmus test of what they're looking for. And can you? You know what people can identify with? Just honesty. Yeah, man, I'm really struggling in that area. God has given me victory here, here, and here, but this is a big one. I'm fighting with that. True or false? True. Amen. You see what I'm saying? We are called to help the helpless, the overlooked, the disadvantaged those who are in need of our emergency services. We don't need to create something new, but rather make a supernatural difference right where we are living. You want to know why you got this battle going on? Because there is an army that hates us, that wants us to continue to believe the lies and that you have no potential in Christ Jesus. It's a lie. You are called to be holy and reflect our Savior, Father, Spirit. What is holy spirit in us rubbing off on us you get what i'm saying and there is this forces because we are supposed to be shining examples to other people not of being perfect but of being forgiven and redeemed and we're in the process of learning more jesus was engaged in his culture He did not back away because it was going to be hard. He spent time with his Father in heaven in order to do his Father's will while living among us. And I just want to say this real quick. I'm not going to use the term Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes this morning. Who is it that threw stones at Jesus? Church people. The religious people. Because he wasn't worried about image. He was worried about the substance of the heart. Why? Because his table was open to anybody that would believe. Oh my gosh, did you see who was sitting at Jesus' table and who Jesus was sitting at their table? Because he realized that they had ears to hear, they had open hearts that they could respond. Why? Because there was an essence of reality and these same people became holy followers of his. If we're preparing for our Lord's return, then it should be a very purifying effect on the way we live our lives right now. Had a lot of conversations about the lesson on complacency. So with this, I want to ask, how do we fight complacency? Complacency. By preparing to see our Lord and by engaging our culture. Remember what Jesus prayed? I'm not praying that you take them out, that you make it comfortable for them, that you make it easy for them. I want them to be fortified and understand that there's an enemy that wants to destroy him. And can I tell you, some of you, your discomfort Your misery on the job is what presses you into intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with the Spirit, a dependency with the Father. And can I just tell you that some of the people that you are trying to run away from on your job and in your neighborhood are the very people that you need to be praying for and pressing in and saying, Father, I need for you to teach me and show me how to love properly so that you can shine and proclaim the love of Jesus in their lives. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's fight for each other. And let's stand up in the marketplace and in our culture. And let's live lives that are going to glorify our Lord. So, Father, I don't know what, you, what that means by your spirit for us today. I know what it means for me, God. And I come to you and I thank you that you have been working on my cowardly self Father, I thank you for boldness and strength that comes by your spirit and that you are changing me day by day. And I pray that same thing. There may be somebody here today that's as fearful and cowardly as I am. And I ask that they would meet with you, that you would transform them and that you would use their lives to proclaim in a powerful way the goodness of your son, the forgiveness of your plan through your son and through your spirit. God, I don't know, but I'm asking that you would draw people to you today that you would do amazing things. Blow our minds at how much you love us as we press closer to you, God. I'm asking in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit for transformative things that can only be accomplished through you today. Amen.